Hi, everybody. This is your guest, when uh, this is your host, Wendy Nystrom with Environmental Social Justice. My special guest today is Heather White. She is the author of One Green Thing: Discover Your Hidden Power to Help Save the Planet. So, welcome, Heather. Thank you, Wendy. It's a pleasure to be here with you. So, um, you have actually done about two decades of environmental advocacy work and national nonprofit leadership. Your book which is amazing. It only came out in April of this year. You have been featured on CBS, PBS, ABC, NBC, Fox News, Dr. Oz, um, cited in the Washington Post, the New York Times and the Guardian. And if memory serves me, good morning, America. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's been, I've done a lot of media with respect to the book and then also through my career too. It's unbelievable. And then you got Aaron Brockovich to do the forward. So please tell us what is One Green Thing and tell us about the book. Wendy, thank you so much for, for having me on and, and sharing my story about the book. So I wrote the book, One Green Thing, Discover Your Hidden Power to Help Save the Planet. Even after 20 years of environmental policy experience, it was a conversation with my kids that prompted me to write the book. It was at dinner, my older daughter had asked permission to walk out of school during the Greta Thunberg inspired climate strike at her school. And I said, of course you can go. I'm an environmentalist. I was happy to do that. But then my mom energy kicked in and I checked the weather report and in California, Californians are going to understand this, but if you're in Seattle, you may not or the Southeast. Um, thunderstorms are pretty rare in Bozeman where I live. And so it was supposed to thunderstorm and she had a super heavy backpack and awkwardly carried her trumpet. So without even thinking, Wendy, I offered to pick her up from school and drive her to the climate rally. So embarrassing. It's true. And let me just say the offer to pick her up from a walkout and drive her to a rally in a car uh, was did not go over well. And she was just like, Mom, you know, we, Generation Z, we feel so alone in climate action. We're yeah. the baby boomers. We're Gen X. We're millennials. You can't leave this crisis all on her on our shoulders. Yeah. And so I realized, Wendy, in that moment that even though I've been doing this from nine to five, this is literally my life's work with 20 years experience that I wasn't talking about climate action around the dinner table and what I wasn't necessarily aligned in my personal life. I mean, obviously I recycle and I vote and I get involved, but I wasn't really talking about how we could all be in this together in yeah. my nine to five, like I was doing a nine to five, but not in my personal life. So I wrote the book for two reasons. One, to look at the mental health impacts of the climate crisis and two, to create an invitation for more people to see themselves in the movement. You know, I did, I looked into the book and you actually almost have like um, an outline of how people, what they can do, how can they get identify what they can do and how they can act on it. Would you mind just going over some of those basics so they, so people get an understanding of that? Yes. Such a great question, Wendy. So I realized that in addition to this idea of eco-anxiety, which is what the American Psychological Association calls the chronic fear of environmental doom, and more and more kids are experiencing this extreme stress about the future we're leaving them, I realized that this idea of this invitation for more people to get involved in climate action, the reason we need to do this is often as environmentalists, as you know, Wendy, we talk about the do this, not that. That's kind of where we start the conversation as opposed to who are you? Yeah. What are your values? How do you show up for the people you love? So I created something that I call the service superpower assessment. And it's a little bit like Enneagram or Myers-Briggs or Strength Finder. The idea is who are you in service how do you show up for the people you love? And then based on seven different archetypes, I then match you to a daily practice of sustainability, 
which is what I call one green thing. And the whole idea, Wendy, is not that your one green thing will reduce your carbon footprint because that's really depressing. It's not about Wendy's carbon footprint or Heather's carbon footprint. It's more that your daily practice of a one green thing is a driver of culture change because we're all culture change agents in our communities and our families. And that is what we ultimately need for these big global policy market solutions to work. You know, I'm I'm so glad you brought a couple things. One, Gen Z is being very vocal, but in a positive solution oriented way. And I've done a ton of these interviews and that underlying mention is Gen Z is saying everything we're thinking. So we've always been like, you know, quiet. I'll just keep to myself. They're saying, no, this needs to change. We've got to do something to change. And every little bit helps. Um, small changes can lead to big effect. And we need to just, everyone needs to do their part. Large corporations do too, but people that can do small changes in their lives is very important. But I would love to focus a little bit on eco-anxiety and what that is, because a lot of the younger generation are um, depressed. They're upset. They're not happy with what they're seeing. Wendy, they're really worried about the future we're leaving them. And that's one of the things that is a big takeaway from the book is that I ask I, I, I wrote this book for Gen X parents of Gen Z kids, but I'm finding a very positive response from Gen Zers, people in their late teens, early 20s, who are giving the book to parents and grandparents, family members, community oh, yeah. leaders, as a way of saying, you know, we want to be seen. So one of the big takeaways is ask the young people in your life how they feel about climate change. And I will say um, to a person the people I've asked who have created that space, it's been a game-changing conversation for them when they hear how young people feel. So eco-anxiety is this chronic fear of environmental doom. Other words are solastalgia, climate despair, climate grief, climate doom. There was a survey of 10,000 young people last September, September 2021. 10,000 young people ages 16 through 25. Nearly half said that climate anxiety interfered with their daily life. And one in four do not want to have children of their own because they're so worried about the climate crisis. And I just want to be really clear. It's not a lifestyle thing. They actually are worried that the planet won't be a place that you should be bringing somebody into the earth. And I think for older generations, that's a stat that kind of stops us in our tracks of like, what is our legacy as older generations going to be? So um, I talk about in the book, Eco-anxiety, I call it the eco-anxiety trifecta. There are three factors that are contributing to this. The first is anxiety in general. And Gen Z has such high levels of background anxiety that the Surgeon General has issued a warning and said it's one of the most significant crises that young people have faced in decades. The second is chronic loneliness. And Gen Z, eight out of 10 Gen Zers report chronic loneliness compared to six out of 10 senior citizens. So today's young people are lonelier than the elderly. And then the third is the hyper-awareness of the climate crisis driven by social media, Wendy, because I think a lot of times, understandably, we talk about our concerns about cyberbullying, we talk about trolling, we talk about misinformation online, we talk about body image, but we underestimate how often young people are sharing and documenting in real time extreme weather events and the trauma associated with that. So those are the three factors that are causing this phenomenon, eco-anxiety. You know, I'm grateful that you did write this book, especially focusing on eco-anxiety. Um, I, I met, you know, through my networking, there's a man, his daughter actually told him, why bother? We're all going to die. Mm-hmm. 
And he was devastated and she would send him articles that, you know, the earth is going to die. And I, I offered, I said, hey, if she ever wants to talk, I mean, my background's geology, geochem, I can talk the science, I can also talk real world. Just we got to pull Gen Z or everyone, not just Gen Z, but everyone out of that depression that it's going to be okay, but we need to change. Yes. And, you know, yours isn't just a book. It's, it's, it's a roadmap. It's a movement. It's an idea that helps people just find their path to make this effective change. And um, I mean, I'm fangirling a little bit because it's a great idea. And we need more people to, to understand that this is a, we can accomplish this. We just need to pick up the book, read it, find our path and do it. it Thank you, Wendy. That's exactly right. That's what my hope. It's, it's really more of a self-help book yeah. uh, for environmental action. And the idea again is like, look, the reason we're in this situation is primarily the fossil fuel industry who knew decades ago, I mean, really in the 1920s, century. yeah, century ago, <laughs> that their product contributed to global warming. We yes. know that, right? So it's not on our us as individuals to solve it, but we all have to exercise agency. We have to control what we can control, and that reduces anxiety, but also creates this really important cultural shift. Because when environmentalists like me say we need global policy market solutions, which we all know we do, what a lot of people hear is I don't matter. And that is wrong. You know, you matter, we all matter because we are these important drivers for cultural change. And that's why I wrote it to try to give young people hope so they can see us and be intentional and be talking about the climate action that we're taking, let them know that we're not alone, and also make sure that we're focused on solutions. So I, I do think that when I say there's this hyper-awareness of the climate crisis, I do think the media is fortunately sharing and now connecting the dots between the climate crisis and the extreme weather we're experiencing. But I do think that as a community, we need to be highlighting solutions as much as possible and highlighting eco heroes, which I do in my book is like in your community all around you, there's eco heroes. You know, there are people that are committed to sustainability. And I think when we're talking to young people too, if you remember the film, The Graduate with Dustin Hoffman, you know, he hears <laughs> plastics, young man. And I oh, think yeah. that, you know, now it's sustainability. It's sustainability, young man, woman, or however you identify, right? Like it is sustainability and sustainability in climate is going to intersect every job that's out there. But there's also an incredible opportunity for creativity and for regeneration and for, for the vision of a world that is beautiful. Like we, if we design green buildings at scale, if we have rooftop gardens in all of our major areas, if parking lot rooftops become solar uh, arrays, if we put equity at the center of how we connect with each other, if we have clean energy um, that's driving our mass transportation, we can create something that we can be proud of. And I think we forget that conversation about what we're working towards, Wendy, right? Because we've been so focused on climate deniers. And we've been so focused on convincing people the problem is real. And my book is like, you know, the deniers, it, it's really a small percentage of the people who don't believe that in climate change and don't believe that it's oil and gas, you know, and our reliance on fossil fuels that's causing it. It's so small. Let's just not focus on that. Let's talk about solutions that have widespread support and let's really build into our vision of the future, sustainability and justice for all. Cause there's an incredible opportunity there for us to be excited, not just fighting something, but building towards something very beautiful. I'm glad you mentioned the positive. Um, I used to focus on climate deniers and I used to try to convince them. And then I realized I'm not going to change anyone's mind. And that's okay. It mm -hmm. is. Because as mm -hmm. you said, it's a small percentage. Mm 
Some people kind of come closer to the middle, but and that's good too. But the key message that you said a few minutes ago was the small changes. We make decisions every single day on what to buy, what to eat, how to travel, how to get places, how to do things. And if you just consciously make an effort to change, to be less polluting, less consumerism, less taking, more giving, we will make that effective change. And for people that still love their fossil fuels and their gasoline powered cars and will never give it up, I only ask one question. What do you love about exhaust fumes? Right. That's, that's my only question. <laughs> it's so true. That's it. That's the only difference. Right. right. And we've, we've all, we've all been there. We've all gone through, I think the evolution of the, the movement has been, let's convince people it's real. And now we need to take action. And young people know um, climate change is seen as an intersectional issue with Gen Z. They know it's related to racial justice. They know it's related to economic justice. They know yeah. it's related to intergenerational justice. They get it. It's their number one issue. And this is number one issue, no matter what political party they identify with. Um, I think yeah. that's really important for us to all understand that they're past that, but they are feeling very alone. And, and what I think is really interesting, we saw this in the midterm elections, Wendy, they showed up big time. This generation yeah. showed up. They didn't opt out of the system. They want to change the system within, which is how we all know is the effective way to get change. And we need to make sure that we're partnering with them. They know that they're not alone. And I love what you're saying about all the individual decisions that we make each day. Because again, they're not going to, you know, if you and I decide to go vegan and we ride our bikes for the rest of our life, we're not gonna solve the climate crisis. And we know that. But our individual decisions align with our values, but also can inspire other people to ask like, oh, Wendy, tell me about that sustainable brand you're using. Or Wendy, I'm really interested, you know, if you have a hybrid, you know, how did you do that? Or do, what, what can you tell me about community solar? There's opportunities by your individual example and behavior to inspire people to change and also to show younger generations that you're in alignment with their future. And one of the things I talk about in the book, Wendy, that I think is important, especially if you do have climate skeptics in your, in your family, is I have a whole exercise about what type of ancestor do you want to be? And this idea of embracing long-term cathedral thinking, and there's a great book um, by a guy named Roman Cesaric who wrote a book called The Good Ancestor. And this idea that we need to start thinking like ancestors in long-term planning. And actually in Japan, there's a very interesting movement called the Future Japan Movement, where communities and municipalities, as they are doing strategic planning, they actually designate people on their team to represent future generations. So oh, wow. they may say that they are, you know, 50 year olds and it's the year 2080 and they have to ask and act as if they are from that generation as they're starting to plan. And I think that there's an opportunity for us to recognize that obviously we know that previous generations got a lot of stuff wrong, but they <laughs> intentionally thought of us. You know, yeah. the invention of penicillin, the expansion of rights, the creation of Yellowstone National Park for the enjoyment and benefit of the people. There was an intentionality in our ancestors for us to have a better life in many respects. And we need to carry that forward. We need to pay it forward. So I think that like that is an entry point that I often use when I talk about climate because it's surprising to people. Yeah. They think I'm going to start with a do this, not that. As opposed yeah. to who are you? What is your personal legacy? How do you want to be remembered? How are you making space for the young people in your life? And I think that that is a way that people can start adopting these small changes and seeing the power of it in a way that you don't feel judged 
you know, because yes. I think a lot of people are afraid of doing it wrong, Wendy. I'm sure you hear that all the time. Like, you know, I bought this I, product and then I heard it had this chemical and oh my gosh, am I doing it wrong? Or like electric cars are supposed to be great, but they're rare earth minerals. Should I do an electric car? Yes, you should. <laughs> Your next car should be an electric car. You know, yes, we need to solve rare earth minerals, but like, that's not the reason not to buy an electric car. But, you know, it's, you're it's getting complicated there. and it's hard. It's hard sometimes. And people feel like they need a PhD to get involved. And so my message is everyone is welcome. Everyone is needed in this movement. Start with who you are, what you love, and how you show up for others. I'm, I'm, I love the fact you brought that up because your messaging is very similar to how I started ESJ. Was a woman approached me and said, please don't hate me. I still use paper towels. Yes. <laughs> and I'm like, why would I hate you for using paper? There's so many worse things you could do. And so I trademark no shaming, no blaming, and every little bit helps. Because stop yelling at each other. It's we're all in this together. And unless we move forward together, we're going to tear each other apart. And, you know, then then the climate deniers win and petroleum wins. And we've got to stick exactly. together. Uh, Wendy, I love that. No blaming, no shaming. And what's the second part? And every little bit helps. Every little bit helps. Exactly. And I think that that we forget that sometimes. And yes, we need these big solutions. Right. But they're only we saw this with COVID. The yeah. big solutions only work if the culture is ready to receive them. Very true. And we have to work on that culture shift and that's where these every little bit helps trying to do the right thing. That intentionality is important, even though the science changes and we may find out, guess what? You know, that particular brand wasn't great or we thought this, or, you know, there was a new breakthrough infusion. What, you know, we, you know maybe 10 years before we see it, maybe two. Like there's all kinds of innovation that's happening constantly that we have to shift. That doesn't mean that you don't try. And I think that that's really important. And this idea of, of not shaming and not blaming, I think is important too, because the blame falls on the companies that knew, <laughs> you know, it just does. And, you know, the, this whole idea of an individual carbon footprint, which you know very well, came from PR execs from the oil and gas companies. The whole idea was like, let's shift the burden of the climate crisis onto individuals when we knew it's their product, right? Oh, yeah. but, that's, but, but that doesn't mean we don't have a role to play. So a lot of young people, when I talk to them about individual action and when they first hear about the book, I think they assume it's 101 ways to love the earth, you know, take shorter showers, eat more plants, but it's not just that. It's more of a framework of your leadership in service to others, how you can apply it to this movement and how your daily practice can bring you more joy and shift the culture. And yes, you should take shorter showers if you can, right? But that's not, it's not the do this, not that. It's much more of a who are you and how can you contribute because we all have a unique role to play in climate action. Absolutely. And one green thing is a movement. It's a yeah. whole shift of mentality. And so um, as we close out, how can people find you? Where can they, they can get your book literally anywhere. I mean, yes. you just Google it, guys. It's there. <laughs> yes. Thank you, Wendy. Yeah. It's um, purchasing the book would be great. It's available on audiobook and on ebook as well. And in hardback. Um, follow me at, at one green thing or at Heather white official on Instagram, sign up for our email list. You can wow. take the service superpower assessment on our website at onegreenthing.org. And also I'm not sure how long we'll be on Twitter, but we're still on Twitter <laughs> at one green thing as well. And so thank you. Thank you so much, Wendy, for the, for this time and uh, for the opportunity to chat with you about your mission at ESJ and also uh, the book. It's, it's just wonderful to spend time with you. Thank you so much. I loved talking with you today and, you know, keep it coming, keep writing more, keep doing more. You are clearly one of the leaders in this movement and you are creating a pathway that we can all follow easily. Thank you. Thank you, Wendy. You too. Thank you so much. Thank you guys. I'm Wendy Nystrom with Environmental Social Justice. My guest, Heather White, please buy the book, One Green Thing. Take care, guys. We'll see you next time.